Chapter 12 At the Grave of the Holy Vajashravas Yes, it was she. No possibility of mistaking those features, and yet they in no way resembled hers. They were indeed like nothing that I had ever seen. In such nameless, superhuman misery did they seem to be petrified. When I came to my senses again, the end of the procession was just passing us. My fainting so suddenly was ascribed to the heat and to the crush of the people. Utterly without power of volition, I allowed myself to be taken to the next caravanserai. There I lay down in the darkest corner, with my face to the wall, and remained in the same position for many days, bathed in tears and refusing all food. To our old servant and caravan leader, the same that had accompanied me on my first journey, I gave directions to sell all our wares as quickly as possible, if necessary, even on the most unfavourable terms, as I was too ill to attend to any business. In truth, I was able to do nothing but brood upon my inconceivable loss, in addition to which I did not wish to show myself in the town, lest I should be recognised by someone. Before all things, I desired to keep Varsity from learning anything of my presence in Kosambi. Her picture as I last saw her floated unceasingly before my vision. True, I was indignant at her fickleness, or rather at her weakness, for I could not fail to realise that only the latter came into question, and that she had not been able to withstand the pressure brought to bear upon her by her parents. That she had not turned her heart to the triumphant son of the minister was made evident plainly enough by her attitude and appearance. But when I remembered her as she had sworn eternal fidelity to me, standing in the Krishna grove with her whole face transfigured, I did not understand how it was possible for her to yield so soon. And I cursed to myself, sighing bitterly in my despair. On women's oaths, no reliance was to be placed. Yet, always, that face full of deepest misery rose before me. And in a moment all resentment was dispelled, and only tenderest compassion went surging forth to meet it. So I firmly made up my mind not to add to her troubles by allowing any news of my presence in Kosambi to come to her ears. Never again should she learn anything of me. She would then, beyond all question, believe that I was dead, and would gradually resign herself to her fate, which was, after all, not lacking in outward splendour. Fortunately, circumstances rendered it possible for my old servant, in an unexpectedly short time, to exchange or sell our wares to great advantage, so that, after only a few days, I was able to leave Kosambi with my caravan very early one morning. When I passed the western gate on my way out, I turned to take a last look at the city, within whose walls I had lived through so much joy and so much sorrow that the place could never be forgotten. A few days before, as I had entered the town, I had been filled to such a degree with restless anticipation that I had eyes for nothing round about me. Impossible as it may seem, I had thus remained blind to the fact that not only the battlements of the gate, but also the coping of the walls to either side were hideously decorated with impaled human heads. There was no room for doubt. These were the heads of the executed robbers from Angulimala's band. For the first time since I had seen Varsity's face under the boulder chin, another feeling than that of grief possessed me, and I gazed with unspeakable horror upon those heads, of which the vultures had long since left nothing but the bones, with, at the very most, the pigtails and here and there a beard, whose wild tangle had protected the place on which it grew. All of them would thus have been unrecognisable, had not the savage red beard of one betrayed him, and another by the pigtail wound around the top of his head in the manner of the ascetic plat-wearers. These two, and without doubt many of the others, had often nodded to me in comrade-like fashion from the camp-circle at night. 
and I remembered with ghastly distinctness how that russet beard, flaring in the moonlight, had wagged with merriment on the occasion of the lecture upon the stupidity of night watchmen. Yes, so realistic was it all that I could almost imagine I still heard the raucous laughter from that lipless mouth. But in the middle of the battlements, over the gate, and somewhat raised above the rest, a powerful skull shone forth in the rays of the rising sun and imperiously drew all my attention to itself. How could I have not recognized those lines again? It was he who that day forced us all to laugh, without himself moving a muscle of his Brahmin face. Vajashrava's head dominated here, while, without a doubt, Angulimala's had been put up over the eastern gate, and a curious sensation stole over me as I thought of the profundity with which that man had in those past days expounded the mysteries of the various modes of capital punishment, quartering, rending by dogs, impalement, decapitation, and with what great care he thereupon sought to prove that the robber should not let himself be caught, but, if unfortunately caught, how he must seek by all possible means to escape. Hmm. Of what help had his science been to him? So little may we avoid our karma, which is, as we know, the fruit of all our deeds, perhaps in this, or perhaps in some former life. To me it seemed as though he stared with great earnestness from the hollows of his empty eyes, and his half-open mouth called to me, Karmanita, Karmanita, look closely upon me, consider well what you see. For you also, my son, were born under a rubber star. You also will tread the nightly paths of Kali, and, just as I have ended here, so too you will also end one day. Yet, strangely enough, this fantasy filled me neither with fear nor horror, even though it was as vivid as any sense perception. My appointed career as a robber, according to this supposition, to which I had up to this time never given any serious thought, suddenly stood before me and not merely in pleasant, but even in seductive colours. Robber chief, what could be more alluring to me in my misery? For I did not doubt for a moment that, with my many talents and accomplishments, and particularly with those that I owed to the teaching of Vajashravas, I should at once take the position of leader. And what position could mean as much to me as that of robber chief? Why, even that of a king would be of little count beside. For could it give me vengeance on Satagira? Could it bring varsity to my arms? I saw myself fighting Satagira in the midst of a forest, splitting his skull with a powerful stroke of my sword, and again I saw myself as I bore the fainting Varsity out of a burning palace which rang with the voices of my robber band. For the first time since that sorrowful sight of my lost Varsity had met my eyes, my heart beat with courage and hope, and I began to think of the future. For the first time I wished for myself not death, but life. Full of such pictures, I had scarcely gone a thousand paces when I saw before me a caravan which, evidently coming from the opposite direction, had halted while its leader offered up a sacrifice beside a little hillock close to the highway. I went up to him with a polite greeting and asked what deity he was worshipping there. In this grave, he replied, rests the holy Vajashravas, to whose protection I owe it that, passing through a dangerous neighbourhood, I am still able to reach home safely, without damage to life or property. And I advise you earnestly not to neglect to offer up a suitable sacrifice here, for if, when you enter the wooded region, you were to hire a hundred forest guardians, their help would be as nothing to you compared with the protection of this holy man. My dear friend, I replied, this mound seems to be only a few months old, and if a Vajeshravas lies buried beneath it, it certainly will not be any saint, but the robber of that name. The merchant quietly nodded assent. The same, certainly. 
I saw him impaled at this spot, and his head is still up over the city gate. But since he has suffered the punishment imposed by the king, he has, purged thereby from his sins, entered heaven without spot or stain, and his spirit now protects the traveller from robbers. Over and above this, however, people say that even during his robber lifetime, he was an exceedingly learned and almost saintly man, for he knew even secret parts of the Veda by heart. At least, that is what is said. And it is perfectly true, I replied, for I knew him well, and may even call myself his friend. As the merchant looked somewhat appalled when I said this, I continued, I was once made prisoner by this band, and at that time Vajashravas twice saved my life. The merchant's look passed from fright to envious admiration. Then, indeed, you can truly count yourself happy. If I had so stood in his favour, I should in a very few years be the richest man in Kosambi. And now a prosperous journey to you, O enviable one. Saying which, he gave the signal for his caravan to proceed on its way. I naturally did not neglect to lay up an offering for the dead on the grave of my famous and esteemed friend, but my prayer, in contrast to all of the others offered up here, had for its substance the wish that he would lead me straight into the arms of the nearest robber band, to which, with his help, I would then join myself, and the leadership of which, as I have already said, I did not doubt would soon pass into my hands. I was presently to see, however, that my learned and by popular pronouncement now sainted friend had been mistaken when he averred that a robber constellation had shone upon me at my birth, for on no part of the way to Ujjaini did we see even a trace of robbers, and yet scarcely a week later a caravan we met, after we had gone through a large forest close to the borders of Avanti, was fallen upon by bandits at that very spot. It has been the source of many a thoughtful reflection that the purest chance should to all appearances have led to my remaining in civil life, instead of adopting, as my heart so ardently desired, the life of a robber. Not that it is so impossible for one of the knightly paths of Mother Kali to lead directly to the path of the spiritual seeker. Just as, of the hundred and one veins filled with quinque-coloured fluid, only a single one leads to the head, and it is that one by which, at death, the spirit leaves the body. So it is also quite possible that even if I had become a robber, I might nevertheless have become a seeker now, and on the spiritual path, with enlightenment as my goal. Besides, when one has attained enlightenment, all one's works disappear, whether good or bad, burnt to ashes, as it were, in the fervour of illumined knowledge. Moreover, the interval between that time and this, had it been given over to the life of the robber rather than to civil life, might not have turned out as differently as you might expect, brother, insofar as its moral fruits are concerned. For, during the time I dwelt among the robbers, I came to know that there are among them many different types, of which some possess most excellent qualities, and that, certain external features apart, the difference between robbers and honest folks is not quite so vast as the latter would have us believe. And, furthermore, in the ripe period of life on which I now entered, I could not help noticing that the honest folks dabbled in the handiwork of the thieves and robbers, a number of them as opportunity offered, and, as it were, improvising, others regularly and with great as well as highly profitable skill. Thus, by mutually lessening the dividing distance, considerable contact took place between the two groups. For this reason, I am really unable to say whether or not I actually gained so very much from the help of the protective spirit which held me back from the knightly paths of the dark goddess dancer with her swaying necklace of human skulls. After this profound reflection, Carmenita became silent and turned his eyes, lost in thought on the full moon which rose large and glowing in the heavens, directly over the distant forest, the haunt of the robbers. 
and it flooded the open hall of the potter with a stream of light where it seemed to transform the ochre mantle of the master into pure gold, like the raiment of some godlike image. The Lord Buddha, on whom the seeker involuntarily turned his gaze, being attracted by the splendor, but without having the smallest inkling of the identity of him whom he beheld, expressed his sympathy with a gentle inclination of his head and said, Still, friend, I only see you turning your steps towards the household life rather than to homelessness, although the path of the latter had in truth opened itself to you. Even so, brother, my dim eyes failed to see the path to freedom, and I took my way, as you say, to the household life. The young seeker sighed deeply, and in a fresh, clear voice, shortly resumed the record of his experiences.